In 2015, Zach Levine put on one of the greatest athletic displays in recent memory while flying through the NBA dunk contest and beating Aaron Gordon. But despite his gravity-defying dunks, Levine wasn't the all-around player the Timberwolves hoped that he'd evolve into. A few years later, he joined the Chicago Bulls, and Levine made the leap to all-star status by teaming up with today's guest, developmental specialist Nate Lenzer. Lenzer spent five seasons with the Bulls, including three seasons as an assistant coach for Fred Hoiberg and Jim Boylan. Now, he's an assistant at the University of Nebraska, where his fingerprints are on nearly every facet of the program, including leading the Huskers' individual skill development programs. His work with Bryce McGowan's helped the freshman earn third-team All-Big Ten honors in 2022, in route to becoming the Huskers' highest draft pick since 1998, as McGowan's was picked 40th overall in the 2022 NBA draft. Lenzer is in his bag when he helps players reach their potential. In this presentation, he explains how development is less about what you know and more about how you connect with your players. Thanks for this opportunity to speak to you all today. Um, I'm a big believer in sharing and growing the game. So it's very exciting to get this opportunity to just talk to, to a bunch of coaches, uh, hopefully around the country and around the world. Um, and hopefully I can provide something that maybe either reaffirms where you're at with your program or something that maybe gets you to, to think a little differently and maybe can, can help you out uh, depending on the situation that you're in. So we're going to talk today about player development. Um, and player development is kind of a big buzzword that's going around our profession right now, uh, like culture and back in the day, toughness and things like that. And, you know, I'm not going to probably give you a, a ton of fancy drills and things like that, but I do just want you to think about what player development looks like in your, in your program and, and how you're attacking it with your staff and, and, and how you're working uh, with your, your student athletes. So, with me, relationship plus trust equals success. And, and I think where we'll start with that is just the idea that uh, I think it has less to do with um, what you know and, and more to do with, with how you're connecting uh, with, your, with your pupils. So with that being said, um, quick thing about myself, uh, just so you, you better understand me, because I think that's how my philosophy when it's come to dealing with student athletes has worked. I think everybody has a story. And I think uh, we need to always remember that these are humans that we're dealing with, and there are pros and cons within each and every one of our, our athletes at different stages uh, throughout the season, throughout their career, and throughout their day. So, um, I just I think it's important to know uh, that they have a story and we want to know, you know, that that some things might be optically there or some things, you know, that may not be there and, and understanding who we're working with is important. Uh, I do believe that in controlling what you can control. And as you see there, you know, I was born with one hand and uh, for me, my path was different, but uh, I wasn't going to let um, some physical differences get in the way of, of some of the goals and some of the aspirations I have. And I think that's important uh, when we're dealing with our athletes as well. I, I don't believe in glass ceilings. I believe in being realistic with, with the players I work with, but I also am not going to be the one that's going to be, uh, you know, trying to keep them from reaching their goals. Never set limits on, on others or yourself. Um, you know, life is constantly evolving and changing. So 
uh, like I said, my parents were huge with me. They never, um, they didn't have a, a roadmap or a guide map to deal with a, a son with a, a limb difference. So with me, it's the same way. I'm not going to set limits on others. I don't know where other people have come from. I've never walked a day in someone else's shoes. So I'm very big on empathy and grace and making sure that, I, that I'm just there to be an advocate to help them as much as possible. Fighting through adversity. I believe adversity comes in many shapes and forms. Obviously in basketball, it's, it's a very tough sport. There's five individuals. Uh, there are no helmets, there are no masks. You have to be able to do a lot of the skills. So there is adversity that happens in life and can happen in a basketball court. And I've seen it as a player and as a coach uh, throughout my career. I do believe that everything happens for a reason and staying the course. And it's the old adage, everybody has a, a plan until they get hit. So I believe in trying to fight through things. And then I think uh, life is not always a nonlinear path. I look at my coaching uh, profession and I've gone, I have been a high school coach. I started as a high school coach. I've been a college coach. Uh, I had a six year span at Southern Miss went back to high school coaching for three years, went to Iowa State for two years, and then uh, spent five and a half years in the NBA with the Chicago Bulls, and now I'm back in college. So uh, what I believe is no matter the level you're on, uh, you make sure where you, you operate where your feet are at and, and treat the people that you're working with like it's the most important job. And, and if you do that, then I think your players feel that rather than uh, worrying about the past or the future. When it when I talk about how I deal with a particular person, we're talking more individualism when it comes to uh, a player development program. I believe in in a we program. Uh, in high school, you know, kids don't know as much, but I think as as the generations have changed, I think those kids even now want to know the not only the what but the why anymore. Uh, college, it, it used to be kind of in between, and then I learned that at the pro level. You know, you're dealing with guys that are making 19, 20 million. You better be willing to uh, to explain yourself and be able to give in a little bit to, to who they are if you really want to meet them. So uh, but I still think that that flows back even in back into high school, that this is not just a me program, but uh, but it can also just be a you program, uh, meaning we're not just going to follow and cater to, to everybody's need needs. I think this, uh, in order for this situation or the relationship to really prosper, it needs to have the idea of a we program. Uh, because I think when, when it's a we program, I think it leads to investment and, and then that helps, uh, the player, the individual maximize their abilities to re reach their potential. I think when it comes across as just a me, me, me program from a coach and almost an authority authoritative, uh, connotation that that when the bumps in the road happen I think it's easier for the player to separate because the trust is not there so that's why uh, going back to that first slide um, relationship plus trust is is very important to reach that success um, I, I do want the players to feel invested in their development and, and I'm not afraid to to tell a player uh, if we're doing a specific drill why we're doing it I think that has changed in my career I think early in my career it was more about this is what I do this is and because I tell you to do it you do it and uh, and I've learned that as I've gotten older in my 20 years of, of coaching basketball that it is important to know why we're doing the drills and if we can't justify them our, ourselves then there's no reason for us to do them uh, with our athletes. I also believe in tr trying to provide as many 
tools as possible for success uh, for their career. This is one of the things that I've learned within the last 12 months uh, from a very intelligent colleague I had with the Bulls, but um, right message and right time. I think this, uh, this can be in marriage, this can be in parenting, this can be in relationships. Uh, it definitely has come across a lot in my coaching path um, without knowing it and, and now seeing it firsthand. But what this says is that, you know, we're striving to be in that right message, right time quadrant as much as possible. There is a time where um, we have the right answers. We know what we're supposed to say, but maybe that player or that, 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 that student athlete is coming off of a tough game, a tough circumstance at home, and everybody's kind of piling on them, but maybe that's not the time to come at them with that, that tough love and all that. Um, the thing is you're looking a little bit for when that, that student or that student athlete is, is ready to hear that message. And that's when we want to make sure we come across uh, with that right time and that right message. Um, I see this a lot of times where maybe it's the right message, but it's the wrong time. Uh, you know, kids coming out of the game, they've just been, been embarrassed themselves or something like that. And um, that's sometimes where, where, you know, a response is elicited from the player just because at that stage of the moment, they're just not quite ready to hear it. They know they've messed up. Uh, they're not quite ready to hear it. Or like I said, there could be some external circumstances. I've seen this a lot with assistant coaches uh, where it's the right time, but it's the wrong message. Uh, for example, the head coach has just got on them and they come down to the bench and um, the, uh, the, the player you know, knows that they've messed up and they're asking for help. And because the assistant coach hasn't taken the time to understand what the system is, or they're worried about catering to that person's needs to be their friend rather than truly helping them out. Um, and then they, they actually deliver a wrong message. This can sometimes happen even at home with parents. Um, kid has a rough night and maybe the coach has got on them or playing time wasn't what it was. And, you know, it was the right time to tell them, Hey, stay with it. It's a long season. Things, things can change and they might go into, well, making excuses and, and making it actually worse for the, for the player or their, or their, their son or daughter. And it's actually the wrong message. And then obviously we never want to have the wrong message at the wrong time. Finding that and being aware of that with the people that we're working with, I have found to be a very, very effective tool and, and knowing that, Hey, there might be things that are missing in a player's game but coming right out and just giving them a laundry list of you got to do this, 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 and this, it's just too much, or it might be too soon. And I don't have the investment built up and the, and the proper relationship uh, for that, that player to actually thrive. So I just want you to think about what that looks like in, in your spectrum and your world. When we're talking about player development uh, within a team, and, and I'm not like, one of these workout guys that that is posting on Instagram and uh, Twitter and getting all these likes and things like that. I am I am still a coach first and foremost. Uh, recently in my career, I've had a lot of player development opportunities, and I've kind of had this label attached to me. But I, I want everybody to know first and foremost that I am a coach, and I do believe player development is a vital part of coaching. But I don't think it has to run separate. I think it can run along with the whole group. And the way that works is this. Um, I believe in vertical alignment. I believe head coach, assistant coaches, players, they should be talking the same language. They should have the same nomenclature. I think 
Um, if the head coach values certain shots, then the assistant coach should be doing those in their workouts and they should be able to make sure that the players are working on those right things. It shouldn't be about the head coach has this vision and some assistant coach is trying to create a different, uh, a, a different vision just to get maybe close to the player or to get the player's ear. So I, there has to be this layer of, of vertical alignment. That doesn't mean that everybody has to be in a straight, straight line, but the way I like to think of it is more of a river and a bank. So there's this alignment. And as long as there, people are going to be different and they might have different philosophies or little minor philosophies or how they work on things and they bring different parts to the table, but there's never anybody, whether it's assistant coach or an AD or a principal or whoever that's pulling away from the old overall vision and alignment of what the team is trying to strive for. Um, I believe in player versus program development, meaning in the off season, it's more player centered. And uh, that's where you can maybe be look to grow things and look to grow uh, a player's game. Um, so in the spring or the summertime, you know, you can look to expand, but when it's, when it's in season, I'm more in the mode of program development. What does this player I'm working with need to work on specifically to help? And I don't like the word role, but purpose for this team and what that looks like. If I'm a head coach, I want that being done from the assistants underneath. And now as an assistant coach, I want to make sure that I'm following that mission that the coach is doing and what his vision is to make this player successful. So that's where the program development may be different than a player development throughout the stage or the calendar than season. Uh, when we're talking about player development as well, I think, um, and this is why I say this is a buzz term, I think there's people out there that are elite at individual one-on-one -on -one type workouts. I believe there are people that are good at parts, meaning how they fit things together. And then I feel like a lot of head coaches are really good at maybe the way that all five look like. And what I want to try to do when I talk about play, uh, player development is I want to be able to make sure all three are fitting together. Uh, I'm not going to work on some tricky, tricky skill that isn't going to really fit into the, the whole uh, five on O or five on five scheme. Um, I do think there are a lot of uh, very good head coaches that, that truly don't understand how to teach the fundamentals, though, as well. And maybe they see the whole part of it and they struggle uh, to teach uh, players how to work on timing, how to work on setting up and how to work on the parts uh, within their overall offense. And I think the ones that are really, really good is they have everything once again, vertically aligned and in sync from the individual to the part and the whole de development as well. I believe in having a workout goal each and every day. And this is maybe a little bit more off season than it is in season, but but if it's extra work, even in the in season, I still try to hit these buckets to to an extent, um, meaning that I have a today goal, I have a this year goal, and then a three to five year plan. Um, maybe there is that. There's we're always going to have the focus beyond today and, and the player's overall purpose right now, but. But if a, a player truly is coming to work extra, or like I said, in the off season, um, because I have been at, at all different levels and, and systems may change, um, I do believe in, in having guards work on perimeter skills and I work or bigs work on perimeter skills. And I do like guards working on 
post skills. And especially, I think that's important at the younger ages when, when people are still developing at a different stage. So uh, I do try to have all those goals uh, within a specific workout. I, I am a huge believer on fundamentals. We did fundamentals at the NBA level, and obviously we still do it in college. And in the high school level, I think it's vital. I think that's one of the things that I've learned is that, um, that, that kids at an early age are skipping steps, maybe because they are athletically given. And then as they, they progress up, if they've, if they've missed some of those fundamentals that, uh, that, that I, that I grew up with, um, then it really, really hurts them later, right, later in their career. So I don't believe in skipping steps. I believe in attacking everything as much as possible uh, at, a, at a very, very low level. We'll work on pivoting. We'll work on the right and their left hand, and we'll work on making sure that they're as well-rounded as possible. Uh, I do believe in footwork. I believe in starting and stops, all the, all the old school stuff, just making sure that it's tailored to, uh, to, to a why are we working on it? Not just going to do something to do something, but I want to make sure that it's fitting into what our overall system is. And I also believe in, in the levels of teaching and progression. So as an example, what I mean by that is when I'm teaching someone shooting, we're going to obviously work on fundamentals and starting there first, but we are going to, we're going to work in a progression, meaning we're going to start with level one catch and shoot which is to me the easiest uh, layer of shooting. Then we're going to move if if that player has a, has mastered that, and by mastering it, I'm talking about shooting at a you know sixty to seventy percent clip in a, in a workout setting. Uh, hopefully thirty five to forty percent when it comes to in game. But then we're going to move on to an off the move, meaning our spacing principles. Maybe the last two or three steps whether it's a hammer, whether it's a shake pass, whether it's window spacing, whether it's pullover. So this element of manipulating their body position to make sure their balance still is on target when they shoot the ball. And from there, we move on to a, they're off the dribble, which is another skill where you have to work on the transfer from ground to shooting pocket to finding a target. And then the highest level of shooters are, are, are off action. And that's, that's the Kyle Corvers, Doug McDermott's Clay Thompson, where everybody in the gym knows that this particular action or play is for them. And they have to shoot at a high, high speed and rep and, and, and be able to be very precise in, in all their, their checkpoints in order to shoot at a high clip. And what I mean by this is if this is a player that I know that's a developing player when it comes to shooting, um, I use a player like David Nwaba, who I've worked with in the NBA as a guy who was an elite defender, very good in transition, hard playing, um, just good player. But, but his, his main calling card to stick is he needed to be able to shoot. He didn't need to do off the dribble. He didn't need to do off action. He just needed to at least start with shooting corner threes. So we really, really would only focus on level one. Uh, throughout all of his progressions. Now, if it was a player like Zach Levine, then we were hitting all four of these levels throughout his workout each and every day because he was a high, high level shooter. I also want to make sure that uh, when we're talking our workouts that we're going to hit these buckets, uh, meaning it's not just going to be shooting only. It's not going to just be ball handling only. We're going to hit different parts. So there's a ball handling element. There's a passing element. I uh, hit on this earlier, starts and stops, a footwork element. 
finishing has become a huge uh, part of our game. So making sure we're working on our different finishes, shooting, pick and roll, um, just the timing reads and execution, uh, understanding that we're not just running this ball screen, maybe just to get you a shot, but the what and the why and what we're looking for and the timing of it. And then overall, I always want uh, when it comes, especially maybe to a shooting or something we're working on, I want it challenging yet confidence building. I don't want the player to get bored with the workout. Uh, I want them to feel like they're learning something. I want them to feel like they want more. Uh, I would rather have a workout in three minutes too early than three minutes too late because I want them to keep coming back and develop consistent work habits and professional habits. But then I also, like I said, I want good shooters to feel like they're good shooters. I, I want to challenge them, but I also don't want to make the goal so high uh, that they feel like they aren't uh, a very good shooter. So all those skill buckets come into play um, whenever I'm devising a workout plan. The last thing too is, you know, I do believe, like I said, vertical alignment, that there's a level of I'm going to teach. Uh, I started as a teacher. I was an elementary PE teacher. My mom was a teacher. So I do believe as a coach, I'm a teacher and it's very easy to forget. So when we're talking about systems and things like that, I want to make sure that whatever our terminology is, if it was a new term or it was something new that we or concept that we worked on, that we go back and we talk about it, what we worked on, because the way I look at it is I want them to take ownership of that workout and to know that, hey, they don't need to hire me or hire someone else to make big money to, to work on their career. I want them to feel the investment of, oh, not just this was a good workout, I liked it, but how do I replicate it? And that goes into the three to five year plan. Maybe they're in college someday and they're in an off season, or maybe they get the chance to play professional basketball. They get this opportunity that they can work on their craft on their own and not feel like they have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to, re, to regenerate a workout uh, to help them with their, their career. With that, I'm gonna transition a little bit um, into, some, into some film stuff. Um, when it comes to film, I, I, am a, I am a big believer in film. Um, to help teach, um, to help teach, uh, to get points across. Um, obviously, I have my own catalog of drills and, and workouts that I like to do and skills and things like that. But what I've learned as I've progressed is I do like to watch basketball and I like to watch basketball at higher levels. And um, high school kids like to watch college and pro kids and pro uh, college kids like to watch pros and pros like to watch other pros and they're constantly looking to steal, beg, borrow and steal. So, um, and I don't think it's necessarily about trying to steal some triple step back move that maybe isn't a part of their progression, but how can you find some of the micro skills? We talked about the individual and the part when it comes to skill development, but how can I find guys that are in roles these guys are aspiring to get to or teams or situations how do i show them that hey this is important to their development so i constantly am, am watching and looking um i have an eye I, I i look for different atos and different plays that maybe fred and i are going to implement with our system 
I look at different situational things, um, maybe teaching tapes that come from situations. Maybe it's fouling late or a simple press late or situations. What would we do in those situations if I was the head coach? But then I've also developed in the last few years my own player development library. And what I do is as I'm looking, uh, watching games, if I see an example of a go and catch that I'm working with with a with a student or, or a player that I, that I make sure I flag it and I put it in my own database. So I have this whole long list of, of different skills and drills that I might be able to use as teaching points. Cause I, uh, I can go out there and show people to a certain extent, but I think there's also some learners that like to he, see that visual touch too. And it gets them to watch the game in a different lens. So like I said, this, this library of skills and examples, I can pull these out in different ways, different times. Maybe a player likes a specific player, so I'll pull clips on how they do things and, and try to tailor it to help them. So this is something I've gone to a lot recently, but this, this is the idea of pulling examples of maybe how we want to play, whether it's in the, the part or the whole uh, or the individual. And like, here's an example from the one, like we want to play with advantage basketball. So right here, we get an advantage. We make two draw one. And sometimes it's not as simple as shooting, but can we go good to great? So this idea of drive kick swing, it's not just to drive to score for myself, but how can I get my teammate an open look and play unselfish basketball? I also can talk to players about spacing. Look at this great spacing here. We got deep corner spacing. We're outside the three. There's driving lanes and there's opportunities. Okay, here it is again. So starting and stopping, Eric Gordon catches with two. So that way he doesn't travel. He gets it down quick. And here we're talking hammer spacing. So PJ Tucker here does a good job of filling hammer. These guys have been drilled in their drills that PJ knows when Gordon drives, his man's gonna be there in the hammer spot. So now we get two to one and we get a wide open look. And these, these drills, these, this nomenclature, this terminology will come out in any sort of drills that we're working on. Here it is again, here's Harden. Everybody talks about him as a scorer, but what I, what I see here is him gearing down. We call this gearing down and almost slowing down. He doesn't get a charge. He slides away and he sees Rondo here pre-rotating to the corner. And because he's worked on it and he knows these reads and his teammates know where to be, he's able to make this, we call this a Euro to a 45 pass and they get a wide open look. Okay, middle drive, here it is again. Now, what are they gonna do with their spacing rules? Jamal Murray steps up to help on the drive. Uh, PJ Dozier looks to smash down. This little idea of angles, instead of staying in the corner where maybe Dozier could knock this ball free, he just slides up two steps, we call this into the window, and now he can make a good pass to him. That, that two slide there might be the difference in PJ Dozier getting there to block it, but instead, you know, 40% three-point shooter is able to get an open shot. Okay, passing, we call this a get game, but Jamal Murray right here, um, just when it comes to passing, for example, I have one hand, I don't believe in always two-hand passing. I believe in push passing, meaning 
more of a shot, I move it to the side and I pass out and around the defense with the right hand, but also the left hand, push pass with the left out and around. Um, but if you look here, Jamal Murray, instead of making the pass right from the middle, he passes out and around the defense. If he was a left-handed player and he passes with his left, Royce O'Neal would steal this ball. But because he moves the ball out to that passing angle, he's able to deliver the pass to Jeremy Grant. So those are just a micro skill of we work, we move the ball to the side so that way we can open up a passing angle. And we would drill that within some of our workouts as well. And maybe a, a guy is struggling with that. I could go back and show this as an example. So passing out and around the defense, pick and roll stuff. Okay. Doncic here comes off the pick and roll. He reads the low man, sham it. And as soon as he sees him lean in, he's already looking to pass out. And this is a big concept we have. Uh, some coaches don't like jump passes. If you don't, that's your, that's your deal. But we never jump um, to find a pass, but we can jump to make a pass. So, he opens up the passing angle, and because Shamit is already leaning in and his read is there, he can quickly make this pass out and deliver an on-time, on-target pass. Shake passes as Bam rolls in and he sucks all the depot in. We call this a shake pass. The thing I love about these passes, look at the pass quality. It's right to the shooting pocket, and they go one more. Starts and stops. Here's Brogdon. He goes in here, watch, this is what we call stride stop, his inside foot, left, right. You can teach a jump stop. I have examples of jump stops, but here he makes the play from the ground. Stride stop, reverse pivot, able to find a man because he's playing under control. In our game, pick and rolls become huge. So how do we play in pick and roll? We call this a pocket pass. There's the pocket in between Tice and Tatum defensively, Jimmy Butler. We call this inside hand. See how he wraps it with his right hand right into the pocket. Conversely, here's Richardson making an outside hand pocket pass with his left hand, his off hand, but able to hit and beat on the roll. Okay. Game has changed somewhat, at least in the higher levels, from playing inside to out, not through the post, but through the pocket. So this is pocket pass. Extra pass, Marvin Williams attacks the low man and he's able to make the play. So this idea of Biggs being a little more skilled and being able to make these plays off the dribble is pretty huge in today's game and age. Driving, finishing, um, the ideas of just simple layups. But if you can create angles at the basket, those are always good. This is a Euro that's obviously become big. Donovan Mitchell gears down once again, opens up an angle. Here's another one. And I had, like I said, I have a whole library of these that we pull out. Maybe specific guys have specific package, different players. But here it is again. He's attacking a big, a cross grain. Now this same hand, same foot, which has become common in the upper levels. And then just a micro skill tier two. John Wall was really good at this. He would set you up with this drive. He shows the hip. And this change of speed, change of direction by DeLon Wright gets an example. And then there's a different type of finish that we might drill. Player development, talking bigs, how they space. And once again, these are examples we pull out. But here's Tyson Chandler, this idea of versus ice coverage. He puts his foot in the ground 
and he takes off and he runs through. I understand not everybody has a lob threat like these guys, but also understanding how pick and rolls work, trying to get the big to guard the ball. So now it's a two-on-one situation. Bottom hip screening. John Wall is an under guy. This is great by Gortat. See how he forces the over. If it just slides under, the big doesn't have to guard. But now Myers Leonard has to decide who he's going to guard. Here it is again, just Powell, bottom hip. See how he slides underneath. There's a over, and now Adams has to guard the ball, which leaves the roll man open. Last one, I believe, on the bottom hip, Derek Favors. He gets the bottom hip. Vucevic has to help on the pick and roll. And as a big, we always want to assume miss. Guards get it on the rim. This is a good runway offensive rebound, and we'll work on this with our bigs. We can also use this stuff last, last point for our de defensive player development. So in our system, we talk about our big is in charge of the pocket pass. Wendell Carter here, this is something that was drilled in his workouts, but see how he's taken away the pocket that Oladipo wanted to throw. We also talk here, here's a micro skill. Watch how Wendell Carter pulls Sadoransky through right there to help get him in front of the ball. Big right here. We don't do a great job getting into the ball, but because Carter gets the ball handler going east, west, or south, now Kobe White can get back in front and we can get back right. And then our last one, we talk to our guards, at least in our system, pick and roll, of they've got the hang pass. So Shaq Harrison here has been taught that when Lavert's hips go up, his hips go up, and then he can pick, kill the hang pass. And like I said, those are just examples uh, that are micro skills of maybe players that are in advanced levels that we can then show to our own players um, to then reemphasize maybe some of the drills and some of the things that we're working on. So once again, you're doing player development probably in all your levels. Uh, don't feel like you ever have to skip steps with your, your, with your, with your players. The same still things apply. Being able to shoot, pass, and dribble and defend are huge. And whenever you can pull those examples out and work those into any of your sessions, I think that it leads to the overall player growing and more importantly, the program growing and everybody having success. So thank you so much for your time. Um, good luck as you start your seasons and good luck to you continuing to grow the game. Thank you. Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more Swish content, be sure to check out huddle.com slash Swish. See ya.